Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview was uh, just a real pleasure and a real delight, and it's always kind of interesting when you look back on your notes, or my notes. I take a lot of notes for those of you who know me. Sometimes maybe you can even hear the scribbling during my interviews uh, resonating through the, the ta- desk or the table that I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing somebody on. But but Liz Forkin-Bohannon, her new book, Beginner's, Beginner's Pluck, um, there's a little bit of that see there getting into beginners. Beginners pluck, build your per- life of purpose and impact now. We had such a blast. I, I hope Liz feels the same way. She She's just a delight. I think uh, you're, you're going to hear um, one of her nine-minute answers to, to one question, and I knew that within, within seconds that we were going to have no trouble at all um, having a, a, a fun, interesting, engaging conversation, and, and, and I hope you agree. And so what I was going to say is when I look back at my notes from, from an interview like this, I realize how much fun and engaging it really is when, you know, there's like six things I've scribbled down. But I quote from her book, Beginner's Pluck, we talk about uh, we talk about just being average. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, you've got you've to step into that a little bit and, and find out a little bit more about what, what, what that all means. But this is about, this is about being intentional. This is about uh, relationships. This is about making choices. This is a conversation about her company that she's founded after uh, spending a fair bit of time in the global south in a very specific part. And and I, I'm just I'm just trying to tease you a little bit so that you'll step in. And by the way, this is an interview that's worth uh, listening to for sure. But uh, I'm going to really encourage you to get the book. When I first started, I'm going to be really honest, and I think I was with Liz as well. I just felt like it was okay. Here we go, another motivational book. Boy, there's a lot of those out there. Uh, but this is um, there. There's a lot more going on here than meets the eye there's a lot of uh, a lot of comedy in it this has got a great sense of humor but this is about building something um i don't even know if i want to use the word better but more meaningful fuller richer more comprehensive 
and and she's got a it's full of hilarious stories, full of very transparent uh, dialogue, and and I think um, you're gonna. Love the book, and I hope you're going to fall in love with Liz as well. I'm hoping that we're going to get her up here to speak uh, in this in the not so distant future for something uh, interesting and engaging connected to the work that she does. So coming right up, Liz Fork and Bohannon talking about uh, living a life of purpose, but also her book Beginner's Pluck. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about uh, my my speaking and writing. You can get a copy of Real Changes Incremental there. Uh, reach out if you would like, and also face-to-facelive.ca uh, is where this is all happening, this conversation. My New Year's resolution, I don't have too many of them, is to to get more intentional and get a little more focused with uh, the podcast, grow my database, and um, sign up for the newsletter. Forward it to friends. Please reach out to us uh, if you're interested in advertising on the podcast or in the newsletter or on the website. We, we really want to engage a couple of new sponsors in the new year. And thanks for all, uh, you know, for hanging in and, and, and being with us along the way. You can support the work we do, too, on Patreon.com. And if you can't do that, if you could leave a review for us on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. A little bit of digital um, um, affirmation uh, doesn't just go a long way for me, but the algorithm algorithms really love it. So, yeah, if you could leave a review for us, we would love that. And also, don't forget, Rabble.ca as well, where, where I'm uh, hosted and I'm on a platform there. Uh, face-to-face lives uh, there um, alongside of a whole a host of other journalists and podcasters and writers talking and thinking about things that matter. News for the rest of us, rabble.ca. Coming right up, Beginner's Pluck, Building Your Life of Purpose and Impact Now with Liz Forkin-Bohannon. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today. Uh, we have Liz Fork and Bohannon with us to talk about her new book and her company as well, I think. It's not just about the book we're going to be talking about today, Beginner's Pluck. Yes, you heard that right. Beginner's Pluck, <laughs> Build Your Life of Purpose and Impact Now. Liz, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm so excited to be with you. So I'm sitting in pretty cold weather here, just the west of Toronto, and we had quite a bit of snow a couple of days ago. Let's get the pleasantries out of the way. Are you warm or are you cold? I am living the dream in Portland, Oregon right now. We've got blue, sunny skies. It's probably about crisp 60 degrees. So we're I'm, I'm feeling good. You're doing okay. Yeah. yeah. And you were, are you drink are you drinking a fruity drink with an umbrella in it? Be... <laughs> I'm not. I'm being true to my true to my locality and drinking beautiful locally roasted fair trade coffee because you know there you we're go. in Portland. Nice work. Uh so well why don't we why don't we just dive right in and 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 go and go right into to to what exactly is what, what exactly is beginner's pluck and and can you tell me more uh about that and about this life of purpose and impact. I mean, I have so many questions. And by the way, congratulations on the book. And Thank you. I, I really, I love the book. When I when I picked it up and when um, um, I became aware of it and the publicist sent it along, I just thought, okay, you know, I'm I'm wide open to self help books and motivational stuff. I'm re- I really am. I'm all over it. But I just thought, you know what, what what am I going to learn on this one? Right? Been, been kind of been down this road before, yeah. right? But but no, there's there's just so much going on here. So yeah, well done and 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 thanks because it's it's full of story. You got a great sense of humor too. Uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So so thank you for taking the time to get the thoughts down. What the heck though is beginner's pluck? What the heck is beginner's pluck? Well, let's start at the very beginning. Pluck. The word pluck 
not the verb. Everybody knows the verb, right? Pluck a guitar string, pluck a chicken. The word pluck in the noun usage means spirited and determined courage. So beginners, spirited and determined courage. And the whole concept of this book really started to emerge for me. Um, I'm about seven years into my career and we are hitting some major milestones in some ways and really looking at our business and our mission and our model um, and just a little bit of a background. I'm sure we'll probably dive more into this. My company is Seiko Designs and we are a global socially conscious fashion brand. So we've kind of hijacked the manufacturing side of our business to create community and opportunity for women in developing economies by working with really high potential female scholars and creating basically a work study pathway for them to earn money to go on to college. So they come to our factory, they make beautiful products that then we sell in the United States. And that salary goes directly towards their um, college degree. So we're doing that. We're like rocking and rolling. We're looking at our, we've got our like relatively kind of plain vanilla retail business here in the US. And we start asking some pretty big questions about like, hey, could we use the retail side of our business to create community and opportunity, not just for women in East Africa, but for women right here at home as well. We start really leaning in and listening of like, what are what are the issues? Like, what's the big juicy problem here in the US? And it um, emerged that the big juicy problem was that there are hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of women here at home who want to build lives of purpose and passion and impact, but they feel totally overwhelmed at the enormity of the world's problems and um, at this idea that somehow they could be a part of a solution. Like, where do you start? What do you do? What do I have to offer? And we really started dreaming about, like, could we use the retail side of our business to democratize social entrepreneurship. Could we take our products off of store shelves and put them into the hands of primarily female impact entrepreneurs in their community, give them the brand and the impact in the products and the support system so that they can go out and build and scale their own social businesses and then create, maximize, you know, our, our impact, um, not just in Uganda, but across the globe. In order to do this, it was a massive, massive risk because traditional retail wholesale represented about 75% of our revenue at the time. And so when I'm thinking about like, do we do we just say if it ain't broke, don't fix it and like just kind of keep chugging along or do we pivot and take this massive risk knowing that if it fails – we might, there might not be a comeback story, <laughs> you know, it like, mm-hmm. um, and the insecurity that emerged for me during that season, I had this nasty insecurity that kept rising up that said, well, if you try now and you fail, everyone's going to know that everything you've done up until this point in your career, it was just beginner's luck. And this like kind of imposter syndrome, beginner's luck insecurity really, really, really started to kind of take hold of me. And I recognized that when I was listening to that insecurity, my reaction to that was like, don't do anything. Just play it safe. Don't do anything that could, you know, that could out you as the fake and the fraud that you are. You know, if you're going to fail, just like fail slowly. (laughs) And don't, don't go out with a, you know, don't go out with a bang like you might if you take this risk and you end up failing. 
Well, it turns out we took the risk. It ended up being one of the best things we've ever done. In the first full year um, of taking our product off of store shelves and putting them into the hands of individual women, we ended up generating more in revenue and impact than we had ever done through our wholesale channel. And we realized like, okay, this was the this was the iteration. And, and now we are, this is the company that we were always meant to be. Our impact is now full circle from the moment a product is conceived of to the manufacturing of it all the way through to the end of the supply chain, getting it into the customer's hand at every point along the way, you are supporting a woman um, in a community who's making an impact. Now, that whole recognition of this like psychology that I was going through was really illuminating to me. And instead of hiding from it or getting mad at myself, I kind of just like really leaned into it and was like, okay, what is this whole beginner's luck in, you know, like imposter syndrome thing that was like paralyzing you. And I I really did the exercise of going back all the way to the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey before that insecurity started to emerge. And what ended up happening in my kind of journey backwards is I realized that there were things that I did naturally as a beginner in the early stages of my career that enabled me to come up with the vision in the first place, to launch it, to mm. start to scale it, to get people on board. And over the course of my career, as I kind of left my beginnerness behind and, you know, became, I was, you know, at this point, seven, eight years into my career, I kind of knew a little bit more. I had more more experiences to pull from. I had more connections. The stakes were also a lot higher, right? Like I'm not just like a 22-year-old that's gallivanting in Uganda anymore. I've got a company that has employees on multiple continents and I've got investors and I've got a burn rate and I've got health insurance premiums and 401ks that we're contributing to. Um, and I realized that there were things that I did in the early stages of my career that enabled me to be really innovative and to get ideas up and off the ground and to pivot and to iterate. And I was starting to lose that. And so I went back and I thought, man, hmm. if I could if I could do the really hard work of trying to get really intentional, figuring out what were those mentalities and mindsets and instincts that I had, then what I'm going to be able to do is two things. I'm going to be able to go to beginners and say, hey, beginner, you actually have an edge here. Like you are ahead of the curve. You are going to do things more naturally right now um, that are actually, if you can be intentional about it, are going to set you up for success and actually probably contribute to the likelihood of you being successful in the long term. So stop trying to fake your way through it. Stop kind of being afraid or embarrassed of the fact that you think you don't have enough experiences or connections or know-how and instead learn how to own it and really use that to your advantage. And also, I realized that I would be able to go to people like me who weren't beginners anymore, who were 5, 10, 15, 30 years into their career or down the path, who had kind of lost um, that beginner's edge, if you will, and teach them how to what I would say is kind of channel your inner beginner. So what are the things that you probably did naturally in the early days? And how can that translate to you now that you're no longer a beginner, um, but, but allow you to still access a lot of um, the magic of beginner's pluck? You know, it's so funny. I, I, there's so many places I want to go. And, and I just just for the record, and I know you know this already, and I'm hoping you can hear my smile, but I asked you one question. We're already nine minutes in just for the record. So so it's going to be a pretty short interview, Liz. Okay? That's all I'm saying. Um, I, I never claim to be a woman yeah. of few words. No, it's fantastic. And, and honestly, throughout, I'm writing notes and lines, and there's great stuff. And I've got, of course, my notes, and, and I love the markup my books I get kind of 
made fun of all the time for it. But, but um, tell me a little bit more about this imposter syndrome and being found out, you know, as a fraud. I remember a former professor of mine saying that, you know, even at this level, even at that PhD level, academics were just all afraid of being found out as a fraud. And isn't that something, the more I meet incredible people doing awesome things in the world, there are very few that I've ever met who would say, oh, I don't struggle with that. And these are all people that I would look at and say like, oh, well, of course, at the point that you have that degree or your business is at you know that level of profitability or revenue, or you have had these accomplishments, surely at that point, you start to feel like, okay, I'm not a fake. I've got some validation. I'm doing you know, I, I am, I'm the real deal. And honestly, the recognition of how incredibly common it is to me was kind of like an ego check of sometimes, and we, we talk about this in the book. I, I actually open up the book with this, with this chapter called own your average. And it's all about the kind of like ubiquitous self-help messaging right now about how special each and every one of us is. And my take that I actually don't think that that's very helpful. And then, in fact, owning your average is a lot more helpful. And we think about that when it comes to, like, intelligence, skills, talents. But for me, it is also such a kick in the butt when I go, you know what? My deepest insecurities and fears are not very special. <laughs> that, like, everybody feels them. So, like, come on. Like, basically just, like, yep, check. Congratulations. You're human. Now, like, move on and channel the energy that you would spend kind of over here in this realm of kind of trying to convince people and be afraid of what people think and what happens if I fail and what's the narrative and instead divert that energy into creating something meaningful in the world. Because the reality is we have a finite amount of energy. Like, it's a zero-sum pie. There's only so many slices. And all of the energy that we spend over there kind of thinking about our insecurities and indulging them and, and, and kind of spiraling in the what-if, like, spiral of shame, that is energy that we're not spending building, creating, iterating, evolving, being innovative, taking risks, probably failing, but also hopefully in the long run succeeding. And so for me, the recognition of just how like my now self-talk is is less like, oh no, you're you're not an imposter. Like it's more just like that's such a boring insecurity. <laughs> like that's so boring. So you can just move on. Like move on because what's really interesting is creating something that didn't exist before and taking a risk someone else might not take. Um, seeing a problem because your eyes are open and you've got a sense of curiosity um, that maybe has been there all along that no one else has identified or that someone else has identified, but your solution is just tweaked and it's a little bit better. It's a little bit more robust. It's a little bit more relevant and sticky and go all in. Like that's what deserves your time and your emotional energy. It's good. You talk about um, a, 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 your cross-country journey, and you talk about this, and I, I so love this about you, that you you did go into this other part of the world with eyes wide open. Uh, you had expectations clearly. You know, you had ideas about how things were going to play out, and they were clearly not shattered, but I think you had to change them. You had to, you know, transmogrify them along the way, I guess. Um, yeah. But you went on this cross-country journey and you stepped into other people's lives. And I really loved that, you know, you asked these really intentional and focused questions along the way. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? And and I'm just looking at some of my notes here. That it, and it's around some of these young women and, and child marriage and so on. And you, mm. and you, and I wrote the phrase down, 
listen, learn, lean in. That's the mm. phrase I wrote down. And, and it's something, you know, in my work and my listeners will know this, I've, I've said it before, but this idea of listening and of creating empathy and, and, and actually crossing into another culture. I mean, how much can we really do that when we're from the West and, sure. and, and we're from a privileged perspective? It's really challenging. You know, how do you embed yourself? Right. Yeah. But, but for heaven's sakes, at least try and 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 ask the right and it and doesn't it have to start with asking the right questions anyway i'd love to hear your thoughts on that yeah i honestly even think it's less about asking the right questions and more about honestly not desiring a specific answer i think mm, so so often even when we think we're asking, you know, quote unquote, the right questions, they're right because we think that they're the questions that are going to lead us to the answers that are going to confirm the biases or the ideas that we came into the situation with. And that's where I really talk about this concept of um, pretending to be a journalist. And, you know, this idea right. that like good journalism is kind of this unbiased, I'm, I'm asking interesting questions. And then the key is when a new piece of information emerges, that's a little bit surprising, or maybe it goes against what I had previously learned, instead of getting defensive, instead of saying, Saying, oh, okay, well, we took a wrong turn or now I'm going to interview somebody else, you know, or like I'm going to discard that experience or call it like a one-off. I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to say like, huh, that's it's really interesting. That's not what I, I've heard before. Like that isn't, that isn't consistent with what else I've been learning. And instead of throwing it out, just leaning in and getting really curious and saying maybe there's something here. And especially when you are in a community or a culture or a context where um, it isn't your own, like the onus is on you to say, like, it is on me to lay a lot of what I think I know and believe at the door and be willing mm. to really listen in a way that is actually authentic. And I'm just, I am so grateful for, in my story, it, it was more so that I was like forced into this open-handed position because here's the thing. I have big opinions and I <laughs> um, am a super defensive person. And like, you know, if I have an idea <laughs> and I, I'm going to come to the table and I think it's the best and like if people don't get it, it's because they're not listening to my words. <laughs> um, That's and right. So yes. for me, I actually feel really grateful that like I showed up in Uganda and I was so ignorant and I was so – I didn't have a plan. I Nobody invited me to be there. I didn't have, you know, like a 10-point organizational checklist that I was like – trying to accomplish. And so it kind of forced me into this posture of being open-handed. And I spent the first several weeks, months in Uganda, literally just wandering around and making friends, taking people to coffee. I would host focus groups. I would literally just um, say like, hey, I would make a friend, you know, with a 20-year-old Ugandan woman and say like, hey, you know, basically the equivalent of pizza and beer is on me. It was probably something more like matoke and chapatis on me and soda. Um, come to this apartment and can we just hang out for the evening? And I just want to create conversation and I just want to listen and learn. And I don't have an agenda. I don't work for an organization. I don't have an idea that I'm trying to get off the ground. I literally just want to know and understand what are the realities of um, your world? Like, what are the challenges you're facing? What are you excited about? What are you afraid of? And um, I gave myself the space to 
spend a lot of time indulging. It felt like that at the time, like indulging and just like, well, this is like, what's my ROI on this? Like, am I being productive? What am I creating? And instead, well, well, you know what's oh, in- go ahead. What's interesting, well, yeah. What's interesting to me is, and I can hear the passion in, in everything you say, really. But I can really hear the 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 genuine, uh, um, 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 as you as you reminisce about it. I think I can hear that connection for you. That that this is really quite. You have a lot of affection for this time mm. in your life, and it comes out in the book as well. Like for somebody who's so driven and so passionate and so committed, sort of to the. Um, I was going to say committed to the org chart, but you know what I mean? Like so driven by, oh, gee, I got a business to run. I got, you know, I've got these charts and I've got health insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're you're, you're a utilitarian, right? So how how did you find that space? How did you actually create that freedom for yourself to say, you know what? I'm going on this, not even a fact, you weren't even Liz on a fact finding mission. You were just actually out there building relationship because relationships Mm -hmm. matter, period. And that's a, that's an amazing thing that you had that kind of Yeah, feeling. and I think it again, I think I might have been like forced into it cuz I think if someone like the reality is when I graduated from college with my journalism degree, like I wanted somebody to hire me. And like I wanted to go work for the New York Times and travel across the globe and write and report on really important humanitarian issues and like that didn't happen. Like the New York Times was not interested in hiring a 22-year-old who had no journalism experience and who had never really left the United States of America. Like, if I'm being really honest about my journey, it was less about me being like a 22-year-old like Buddha and more about me being like, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Well, I applied for that and no one hired me. Mm. And for me, there's this moment, and I kind of talk about it in the book, There, the come to Jesus moment for me was I was a few months into my first job out of college. By the way, not my dream job, but like, nobody at my dream job got back to me. And so it was kind of my like, okay, well, I literally just have to pay the bills. So this is what I'm going to do. And so I'm in this job and I have this moment where I realize, you know, I say that I'm really passionate about this thing and this thing being women and girls living in extreme poverty and conflict and post-conflict zones. And yet I don't have a single friend or a single relationship which with a woman who grew up in this context And that means that my life isn't actually affected by those things. And anytime you say you're passionate about something, but yet your day-to-day life isn't affected by it, I think we get a little bit confused. And it's like, well, is that really passion or is that just like an intellectual position that you hold? Is that an opinion that you have? And I've got big, important opinions about lots of things. But for me, it was really an integrity question of like, okay, you kind of have an option here. Once I had this moment that I was like, your life isn't affected by that at all. Like you're not, and you're not pursuing a life that um, puts you on a trajectory of having that be more a part of your experience. Like you're on this path, you're going to, you know, like you're now in this kind of corporate environment, you've got a pretty clear pathway and likelihood that kind of in this position that I could, you know, succeed and make my parents feel good about saying that, you know, whatever job that I had and, you know, have whatever affirmation I needed from the people that surrounded me. You can just do that. But like, then just kind of give it up, give this like passion thing, like that you really care about this thing. And just like, be honest with like, nope, this is my new, my new focus. My new focus is like climbing the corporate ladder and being financially successful and being somebody that, you know, looks impressive. Or, make a change like or you can keep saying that you're passionate about it but go Mm. actually make decisions in your life that um that align with that and that kind of 
tie you into that in a way that isn't something that you can just turn completely on and off and say like, well, I can care about this in the midst of a debate or when I'm writing a paper. But the reality is like I get to go home and be largely like untouched by the issues that are facing women and girls across the globe. And let's be very frank about the situation. Like I am, you know, an upwardly mobile white American, like I'm not even remotely delusional enough to think that by moving to East Africa and by starting this company that I now understand or am affected or impacted by the realities that are facing the bottom billion women across the globe. But now I have friendships and now I have a relationship and now I have a company and now I have employees that are. And so by proxy, like I have tied myself Mm -hmm. up and um, experience these issues and these realities in a way that I just simply didn't before. And so for me, that's kind of how everything changed. And and that is where kind of this like being a pretty driven, quote unquote, productive person, it felt like a drive. Like it wasn't just like, do, 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 do. I want to like go make friends so that I can have long lingering lunches. It was like, I need to make friends. And I need to create a community because there's a delta between what I say I care about and the actual life that I'm building. And I care deeply about integrity and um, wanting to make sure that I close to that gap. I just so love that what you've created, and we're going to talk about this before we wrap up, Seiko Designs. And by the way, folks, that's Seiko with two S's, S-S-E-K-O designs.com. So check that out, but we'll come back to that. What you've created with the company and the book and and, and your speaking and your your passion and purpose is so connected to community Mm. that it comes, that Liz, that it comes out of this relationship building, this cross-country trek that you did essentially, right? I mean, obviously it's a little more complicated than that. And there's a lot of causal connections there. But still, it's really remarkable. Hey, you know, you you say I love the way you turn things on their head, and you 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 call me pretty average. I love that <laughs> in the book, um, you know, that kind of stuff. But you also say passion, and it's connected to what you've just been chatting about. Passion isn't pre-existing, mm-hmm. right? And that and that you don't just go out and find it, but it's got to be more intentional. It's got to be about focus. It's got to be uh, something that you you know you step into. You you build. Yep. And isn't, and isn't that essentially what you've just laid out? Yes, absolutely. I think the narrative of finding our passion, whether that's out there in the world, we got to meet the right person, we got to open the right door, we got to take the right job, or even for me, the narrative of like, look within yourself. You know, I, I've definitely met people before. And, and if this is your story, that's awesome. Like if your story is like, you know, I didn't know what my passion was and then I went and I looked back at who I was when I was five or 10 years old and I realized it was there all along and that works for you, that's great. The research shows that 80% of people don't identify. 80% of like 25 to 35-year-old people when asked, hey, what is your passion? They can't answer that question. And so it, it it begs the bigger question of like, well, maybe we're thinking about it in the wrong way. And when we think about finding mm. our passion, what it does subconsciously is it puts us kind of into a passive state. So it also the kind of this idea of mm-hmm. luck plays into this as well. Yeah, um, sure. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Let it let it let it happen to me. Let them knock on my door. Totally. Like let, you know, let me get the vision. Let someone come and point it out to me. Let me get this opportunity that, you know, surprised me and I just like fall into the success. And one of the reasons that I named one one of the like four reasons that I named the book Beginner's Pluck is because in our company. So we now have women 
that are selling the product and they're earning an income and they're, you know, building their own businesses alongside Seiko. And so we will have women in our community that are just like totally killing it, right? They are selling and they're building teams and they're earning an income and they're making this huge impact. And so I would invite these women to, um, you know, on like a monthly leadership call, like share what you're doing with our community, help us understand, like, how did you have so much success? And it was so common that women would start out by saying, um, well, you know, like, well, first of all, yes, I was really successful this month or I've had an amazing quarter, but I I really do think I just got lucky. And I would get so angry (laughs) because I'm like, no, 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 no. I see what you're doing behind the scenes. I see that you're staying curious and you're choosing curiosity over criticism. You're taking risks. You're iterating. You're pivoting. You are encouraging others. You're thinking about how to serve your customers and not just yourself. Like all of these, like these are just actionable principles and things that you are doing in your business that are creating success. And what I learned in the process actually is really interesting that when Women specifically have a tendency to attribute their success to external factors. So like I was in the right place at the right time. I just got lucky, you know, Um, whereas men tend to attribute their success to internal factors, meaning I'm awesome. Like I'm really smart. I made a good decision. I had like a great idea. And so I became really passionate in our business about this idea of I banned the word luck. And so when a woman was on a call and she was sharing If she said luck, I would get really obnoxious about it and just be like, "Eh, you can't say luck. And this phrase emerged in our community of like, who needs luck when you've got pluck? Um, But this kind of idea of luck is like a little bit tied up even into this idea of finding your passion. Both of those narratives put you into a state of kind of passive waiting. Even just the semantic Mm -hmm. change of, of going from finding to building all of a sudden puts you in a proactive status and like mindset and posture, right? Where it's like, no one's like, well, I'm going to go build a house. I'm just going to like wait and and let, you know, like luck or vision strike. It's like, no, 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 no. The moment that you say you're going to go build a house, you like come up with a plan and then you go to the store and then you buy the materials and then you lay the foundation and then you layer on top of it, you know? And it's like such a proactive, you don't sit back and wait. Like you don't think somebody's going to come to you and like, you know, offer you some magic piece of advice or that there's like some silver bullet that you're like waiting to discover before you can start the process of just building the freaking thing that you said you were going to build. And so I just really absolutely believe in reframing. Like, you do not like discover your passion when you're like sitting back and waiting and thinking thinking about it. Like passion is actually created in the act of doing and showing up. And so for me, so many of the things that I say I'm passionate about today, like running a business that is solving a problem that's traditionally been left to the nonprofit sector, like I didn't start passionate about that. I became passionate about it once I started doing it, you know, like product. We're a product business. I was not interested in fashion at all. Like just wasn't interested in it, was not intrigued by it. But when I started doing it, when I started being like, well, I can't afford to hire a head designer or a creative, you know, director, I'm going to have to do that because here's this, you know, to me, it was just a means to an end. Well, my gosh, 10 years in, and there are a few things that light me on fire and that get me so excited about creating beautiful product that's made with a beautiful story and has this great impact, but is also just product that makes sense and is going to help a woman like elevate her wardrobe 
and feel like she, you know, has her look pulled together and that she feels super confident and that she also knows that she's making an impact. However, like if I would have sat back and waited and kind of done all of this like introspective work, I never would have quote unquote, discovered that passion. I just absolutely wouldn't have because there was nothing in my life that was pointing me towards it. But I instead found this really interesting problem. One, I don't have any friends like that represent this community that I say I care about. Two, then I find, okay, here's 25 of the brightest female scholars in the country. They don't have a way to continue on to university. Like, what can I do to help bridge this gap? It was all just a means to an end until I kept doing it and I kept showing up. And then lo and behold, years in, it actually developed into a passion. And so I think this idea that we need to find our passion before we start is really toxic and sends us in the wrong direction. This idea of like, no, 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 just start and your passion will build. When you stay curious, when you follow leads, when you stay focused actually on the problem instead of the solution, um, you will be amazed and hopefully surprised by what you find. Before we wrap up, and I want to read a little piece out of the book. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I, the, the part I, I think I mentioned it to you before I started, uh, before I hit record, the part I hate about about my podcast is they, these great conversations come to an end. So we're <laughs> going to have to find a way to keep this one going, Liz. But um, tell me, is Mark Cuban like your least favorite person on the planet did 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 you actually <laughs> did you actually get a shark take no like i didn't i didn't go back in my research far enough to see if that was a, a is that a story or is that the truth oh that is the that is the truth That's we the got truth. i mean we got we got a no by way of getting an offer that was so outrageously bad that it was essentially a big fat no so yeah we got rejected on you know national television in front of a cool Seven million people by uh, by by Mark Cuban and a few others. Yep. Wow. And are you like under some sort of NDA like sort of requirement where you're not allowed to talk about it? No. Uh. Uh-uh. I can talk about. Oh, it. Oh. Okay. No. I'm I'm kind of teasing. I'm teasing oh. you too. By oh. the way, I don't really care that much about it, but it's just still kind of interesting, fun to me that you just sort of have this little aside. I think at the end of one of the chapters. You oh, know? I but I love the, the book. Point. I didn't even remember. Yeah, that. you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it comes up in the book. Yep, yeah. Yep, so clearly, yep. it still hurts, and I get that. Uh, I love the way you mentioned rejected in front of seven million people. Yes. Tell us how you really feel about it, Liz. You know, it's so funny though because it's like those are the things that I am so grateful for. Because you think as an yeah. entrepreneur that it's like, oh my gosh, that's you know that's like the worst case scenario, and then you go through it and it's like, no, that was actually awesome. Like we, had, it was a huge mm. revenue event for us. We were able. I mean, I honestly do believe for our brand, the narrative that we were trying to tell about what business can do in the world and the reaction that the quote unquote sharks had to us. Um, we were able to like rally our community around that. And there was just like this huge push of energy. And, um, you know, so it, it like, in hindsight, anytime we do something that we feel like before we go through it, it's like, oh my gosh, that would be the worst thing ever. And then we come through it and we're like, uh, no, not the worst thing ever. Um, you know, there was definitely a part of it that was like not fun, <laughs> but like we did it and we got through it. And actually we found some really, really kind of gold nuggets within that. Like I would honestly say that we had right. this massive revenue event when we were on Shark Tank, but as soon as that was over, the entrepreneur in me is going like, okay, but how do we replicate that? And the answer to that is you can't. Like you can't 
replicate Shark Tank quarter mm. after quarter. And that weighed super heavily on me as an entrepreneur of like, are you kind of chasing the like shiny silver bullet? Um, the thing that's like sexy that you think of like, oh, if we could only get on Shark Tank, if we could only get on Oprah, if we could only do this thing, you know, if, if only we could get this person to talk about us and recognizing that like that kind of silver bullet mentality um, can actually be really, really distracting. Or are you going to get for real about doing maybe the quote unquote smaller, less sexy thing that is actually just replicatable? that you can do once and then you have control over and you can do it again and again and again and again. And that like really lit a fire under me that ended up being one of the things that kind of compelled us to make this massive shift in our business model. And I will say that that shift in our business model made a, I thought Shark Tank was a big impact at the time. And it was like, no, 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 no. Long-term, the impact came in this like scalable, uh, replicatable shift that we ended up making. Um, and so I think, I am just trying to learn as a human, like when now the next time I'm in the experience and I'm like, oh, this is not going well, this is not good, or I'm looking at something I'm going, but it would be so bad if that happened, like remembering like, yeah, but you thought that about that thing. And then look what happened when um, w on the other side of it and kind of that mentality of, and I talk about this in the book, this kind of miracle hunting mentality training yourself mm. to know and to believe that in any situation there's actually something to be learned and there's a nugget of gold and it likely isn't the thing that you were expecting um, and the more that you can be in tune with that and the more that you can be expectant versus having expectations right having expectations means we think we know what that's going to be and we know what it's going to look like and we know what it's going to feel like and we're going in with that expectation being expectant means i believe absolutely that there is a nugget of gold in there but I'm not quite sure what it's going to be and being kind of open to being surprised in that regard. Yeah, it's so good. There's something there that's so great and wise about, about being present, you know, and, and being able to see, and it's so cliche in a sense, I suppose that there's, there's opportunity. There's pretty much opportunity everywhere, I suppose. I mean, we'd have to unpack that obviously. And, uh, but um, there's also challenges as well. And sometimes opportunity comes you know, later and down the road. But uh, yeah, love, love what you have to say about sort of finding those nuggets and being, being, being present. I mean, it's a, certainly a lesson that I'm still learning after many, many years, Liz. So again, can I, Hey, can I read a little bit just before we wrap up? Is yeah, that, is absolutely. that okay? Is that okay? Yeah, hey, and by, and by the way, um, chap, your the last chapter, which I guess, you know, uh, you call the conclusion. Uh, you are is the title. For me, that was worth the price of admission for mm. me. That chapter. So I'm telling everyone out there. Never mind anything else in the book. For me, that was it. So get the book just for page 213 to I don't know 220 or something mm. like that. Seven yeah. pages, man. Yeah, it was fantastic. So here we go. Quote that we're going to go out with this or come close to going out with this. I can't tell you what your first step is because here is the terrible and wonderful truth. You are entirely and completely unique and so is your path. You and your path are made up of every moment of every conversation you've had, everything that's broken your heart, every suture that's helped stitch that shattered heart back together and every crack that still exists, every idea that you've had, every person you've loved, every trip you've taken, every neighborhood you've ever lived in and every family member who has loved you and disappointed you and every inside joke that makes you laugh until you cry at the most socially unacceptable times. 
all of it culminates with you and in you. And all that's in caps, by the way, folks. There is no one else who sees the world quite like you do. And where you are going, no one has ever been before because that's the terror and the beauty of the path, traveler. It's only made by walking. You've got to stop asking for directions to a place that doesn't yet exist. There is no right first step. There are only the sacred steps that will make your path, but only if you walk it. Close quote. Um, that's beautiful stuff, Liz. It really is. I mean, that's powerful. It's, it's, it's about being present. It's about being intentional. It's deeply philosophical. It's, in, it's, it's a, yeah. And by the way, if, if you can't afford the book, head to your bookstore. That's page 126 and 127. <laughs> <laughs> just go camp out for a little yeah. bit. Hey, I think yeah. I even talk yeah. about this in the book that in my early days of the business, I went to Barnes and Noble. It was within walking distance of my house. And I read like how to code a website or like HTML coding for dummies. <laughs> I was so poor. I literally couldn't even buy the book. So I would just sit awesome. in Barnes and Noble and read it and take notes while I built our website. And so I am in full support of you either going to your local library or going to a store and reading and reading the highlights. That's fantastic. Yeah. You might even want to take a picture of that uh, that paragraph or two yeah that's fantastic and listen real quick seikodesigns.com you've you've chatted it's a thread throughout clearly uh s-s-e-k-o designs.com it's you can find out about the fall 2019 line um there's lots there to to learn more about what you guys do you want to say a couple words about that just before we wrap up list yeah, it's it. We've got an amazing, gorgeous collection. Uh, we're coming up here on the holidays, and um, I would just really encourage you. You know, whether that's with Seiko or another company, every time you spend a dollar, you are voting for the way that you want the world to work. Um, and that we as consumers just have a massive, massive ability to make the world a little better and brighter um, and to participate in stories and companies where people are treated with dignity and respect. Um, and if you shop with Seiko, you not only get to do that, but we also have incredibly beautiful, on-trend, really high-end, well-made products um, for for um, a really great value. And so, yeah, I would love for you to hop online and do a little shopping with us this holiday season. And um, yeah, if you're interested in becoming more a part of the Seiko story, there's lots and lots of ways that you can um, get involved, whether that's hosting a trunk show or becoming a Seiko fellow. Um, so we we would love to meet you and, and welcome you into this, this global community that we're building. Can't tell you how, how much fun I've had today listening and chatting with you. And, and thanks again for, for a, a great read and a wonderful conversation. Uh, we've, we've been listening to Liz Fork and Bohanna today on, on Face to Face, chatting about her company, Seiko, uh, and also about her new book, Beginner's Pluck, Build Your Life of Purpose and Impact Now. Liz, thanks so much for your time today. I really, really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. This was so fun and such a pleasure. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.